This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hi, welcome to the Finding Holy podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Hales. I'm author of the book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs, and the forthcoming book called A Spacious Life. Here at the Finding Holy podcast, it is our aim to help you connect the dots to the big things that matter to your everyday holy life. You'll get to hear my guests' laundry routines too, because big things matter, but so does the laundry. Here's a little bit more about my guest today. Todd Wilson is the president and co-founder of the Center for Pastor Theologians and the former senior pastor of Calvary Memorial Church in Oak Park, Illinois. He's the author of Mere Sexuality, Real Christian, and Galatians, Gospel-Rooted Living, as well as a co-author of The Pastor Theologian. Today, we talk about his most recent book called The Enneagram Goes to Church. This episode is a part of a several episode series where we're talking about how has the pandemic changed relationships. In this conversation with Todd Wilson, we'll talk not only about the Enneagram, but what does the pandemic do to relationships between people and specifically to those in the church. Listen in for some great wisdom and be sure to tune in to the following episodes as we consider marriage, parenting, and even our relationships with doubt and ourselves. All right, friends, I am excited to welcome to the podcast Todd Wilson. He is the author of the recent book, The Enneagram Goes to Church, Wisdom for Leadership, Worship, and Congregational Life. So thanks for being here, Todd. Ashley, thanks for having me. It's a privilege and honor to be uh, on the podcast today. You're so welcome. Well, I think actually it's kind of surprising. I think this is my first Enneagram episode, which- okay. Which is surprising. And also when I was reading your book, I was like, you're an eight and your wife's a four. And that's the same pairing as my husband and I. So, Oh, is that right? Yeah. You're the four or are you the yeah, eight? I'm the four. He's the eight. Wow. Yeah. You know, they say, they say that's the most intense combination. Most volatile. You may have heard that. Yeah, I have. <laughs> I see. I said intense, not volatile. <laughs> I, I read the word it's volatile. And I was like, I can resonate we, with we, that. Yeah. I was going to say, we know a little bit about volatility. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's great. Anyway, but like, yeah, it's an intense, interesting combination. So yes, I would love it. Maybe if you could just give our listeners, if they've heard of the Enneagram or if they haven't, if you could just give us a quick little overview. So everyone's on the same page. Maybe some people who've heard the word Enneagram or seen the memes just kind of feel like it's one of those personality profiles and it's just kind of so overdone and cliche or like people yeah. think it's like voodoo mysticism or something. So oh, yeah. could you give us just a little brief overview yeah. for the Enneagram skeptic? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, I mean, the, the basic overview is you use the, the phrase personality uh, typing system. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is, is a personality typology or typing system, helping us understand that there are different personalities uh, in, in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Enneagram sees there to be nine different ways of, of navigating uh, your way through the world, nine different personality types. Uh, and really it's, it's framed around or organized around how you put together thinking, feeling, and doing. That's mm-hmm. why there are nine different personality types in Enneagram. 
and the Enneagram system. Um, so it's for my, you know, I, I've been a big fan of personality typing systems mm -hmm. for a long while, uh, and have taken tons of the strengths finder and disc profile and all these different sorts of tests. But for my money, the Enneagram is, uh, the best of all of them because it is the most accessible and yet at the same time, the most profound. So mm -hmm. it's, you can, you can pick it up very quickly. Uh, which is great. It's not overly complicated in that sense. And yet at the same time, once you get into it, it's like a pool that kind of goes into the deep end, right? Mm -hmm. you, you can wait in, mm -hmm. wait in the baby pool side of yeah. it. And then keep, as you get, keep getting into it, it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper mm -hmm. and more profound. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. that's, that's what it is. Nine personality types, nine ways of seeing the world, nine ways of engaging the world, navigating your way through the world, organized around thinking, feeling, and doing. And you do such a great job, I think, in your book, too, talking about how those triads work and how, you know, different numbers, right, have different kind of repressed centers. And yes. so how does that matter for your leadership? How does it matter for your church? How does it matter for your church tradition? And I think it's going to be a really helpful book for leadership, for pastors to think about all of these kind of structural organizational leadership yeah. questions, yeah. but in terms yeah. of the Enneagram. One thing, though, that I, I loved how you said in the very beginning of your book, you said, if I had known the Enneagram... I would have been a better pastor, <laughs> you know, oh, yes. like if I'd known it sooner, I would have been a better pastor. And then you also talk about Jonathan Edwards later in the book about if he had known the Enneagram, maybe he wouldn't have gotten kicked out of his pastorate. So I'd love to hear maybe from yourself or, you know, Edwards or any of these kind of yes. great theologians, how can the Enneagram help us be better leaders and to love our people yeah. better? Yeah, great. Thanks for that. Yeah. I, I was on a walk with, with my wife and, uh, you know, just sort of, we, we did that regularly. And the thought occurred to me, man, I, I wish I would have known the Enneagram because it had been so helpful. And I didn't discover the Enneagram until uh, I was a number of years into the pastor where I was at, the senior pastor for 10 years. Uh, and, and actually, once I learned about the Enneagram, but frankly, more importantly, once I learned about me yeah. <laughs> and other people, uh, it, it, you know, it did a number of things. I mean, it just helped me see my blind spots. Mm -hmm. And the, the way I work in the world, the way I approach pastoral leadership, the way I approach preaching, the way I approach team meetings, the way I approach mm -hmm. everything, of course, is a function of my personality, mm -hmm. which has its gold and it also has its shadow, just like all of our personalities do. We've got our strengths and our weaknesses and our per personalities. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if, you, if you're not sensitive to that, I, th I think we're all tempted to make our personality normative for other people. Right. Like, why don't other people... <laughs> engage yeah. the world the way I do. Like, and, and in a Christian setting, I think we're tempted to then not just uh, make normative our personality, but then moralize the differences. Right. Yeah. What's wrong with that person that they're not more this or more that, you know, mm -hmm. and, and we start to make value judgments. And mm -hmm. I, I must confess, I mean, I did that as a pastor and pastoring is such a people business, right? And, right. and church life and ministry is so people intensive. Uh, and I, and, and, and the Enneagram just really is a marvelous like compass mm -hmm. to help you navigate all of that. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, I, you know, I, and I could go on for, for a long time on, on the ways in which it helped my ministry and give you lots of examples. Yeah. Well, like walk us through. Where I look back yeah. and I, I just, I feel, honestly, I feel kind of, I feel grieved in, in some respects. Mm. I just think about like, let me give you one simple yeah. example. I think about as an eight in the Enneagram. So that's an aggressive type. That's an assertive type. Um, you're future oriented. You're 
vision and forward movement and and all of this comes very naturally to you as mm-hmm. an eight and the enneagram uh, which is has is a great strength in leadership and pastoral mm-hmm. leadership mm-hmm. Um, but i think about you know congregational meetings we had and we had many congregational meetings at my church and i think about um, the the one of the uh, more challenging things in our congregational meetings was the Q and A time, <laughs> right? Yeah. Congregational meetings, you have these question and answer time, right? And many personality types would step up to the microphone and ask questions, wanting to find out you know things about this, that, or the other thing. But if you're an eight, you're tempted to take yeah. this as pushback, right? And as challenge, yeah. I mean, that's just such a simple example, but I think about um, how many times I, you know, I, I, I took it personally, people's honest, genuine questions as a challenge to my leadership and direction, mm-hmm. flowing out of insecurity and just kind of misreading the situation. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I would understand the Enneagram, I could have said something to myself like, right. you know, this is probably a six in the Enneagram asking me a genuine question, not challenging my leadership at all or the church's leadership at all, mm-hmm. but just really curious and wants to sort of shore up their own anxieties. That's why they're asking the question. Just that's a simple thing, but that would mm-hmm. help me so much. I could apply that to a million different situations in leadership mm-hmm. that I faced mm-hmm. over the years. So it allows you to, to be kind of a differentiated leader, right? Too. That's exactly like it's right. It's helping you not take on everybody's anxieties. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> or at right. least to know that their anxieties are their anxieties and they don't that's necessarily... Right have to be directly related to your own leadership and authority. Yeah. And I love that differentiated. It helps you be a differentiated leader. I mean, it helps you in the process and journey of differentiation as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then reading other people's way of being in the world or being at church or interacting with you or interacting with your congregation, whatever, with much more compassion and mm-hmm. generosity, mm-hmm. Um, where you're not moralizing your personality differences, you're compassionately and sympathetically, Mm -hmm. you know, just saying, Hey, we see the world very differently and Mm -hmm. it impacts a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, you know, as you're talking a little bit about the ways in which we have lacked compassion, we lack dialogue Mm. most of the time, like on social media, because you don't have an embodied presence. How can the Enneagram help us? I mean, (laughs) you're probably not going on Twitter to like everyone's profile and be like, what Enneagram number are they writing in their profile before I respond to this? Can some of this at least help us, you know, personally, even as we engage in conversation on social media as well, besides just like our local embodied communities? What a great question. I don't know that I thought that through. Uh, do you have ideas on that? That's a great question. Um, well, I mean, it's got to at least be self-awareness. Yes. You, know, you can't necessarily, like, you know that person asking the question at the microphone in the Q&A. Yeah. And, yes. And you can be like, oh, they're probably a six, or I can That's right. kind of tell right. they're probably at least in this triad. And I know that person, I know yes. their fears. And so I can temper myself because yeah. I know that person online it's just like a big expanse right so yes i mean but at least we can we can think about ourselves so i wonder yes, you right. know self-knowledge how that might be helpful and then online yeah space. yeah yeah no no that's great i mean i think social media i mean it, it does seem to be a nice place for people to vent <laughs> anxiety fear and anger mm-hmm. and so you know one of the interesting things about the enneagram is talking about these underlying triggers, yeah. shame, fear, and anger in yeah. the different triads. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I suspect they're, they're, you know, I mean, you really got me thinking now about, um, but I suspect, you know, we all would be helped to be, be being very aware of, are we primarily triggered by shame, fear, or anger? And mm-hmm. then how are we tempted to l- kind of let that out yeah. in social, in social media channels? Yeah. Right. 
If you're a two, three, four, you're in the feeling heart triad, shame is a trigger for you or a driver, you might say. Mm -hmm. There'd be lots of ways in which that might manifest itself on social media. And eight, nine, one, you're in the body or gut triad and anger mm -hmm. is, a, is a driver and a trigger. And, um, you know, so it'd be kind of uh, how we're tempted to engage and indulge in, in those, that shadow side of our personality. Mm -hmm. And social media, I think, makes that easy to do mm -hmm. precisely mm -hmm. because it's not embodied. Yeah. How can our church communities and maybe how can leaders in the church then, if that's where all the people are coming from, you know, and especially after, as we're beginning, we hope to emerge from this global pandemic where we've been mm. kind of apart and isolated. How do you think church leaders can engage that actual reality of that isolation of the shame of the fear of the anger to yes. help people again, become whole. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. Another great, I mean, that's a great, these are great questions. And, I like and asking I'm, questions. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm staring off. My brain is just buzzing, thinking through. That's such a good question. I, I always feel like as, as a pastor, as a parent, as a pastor, mm -hmm. as someone who works, you know, engage, uh, works with people, um, that naming it, just naming the reality mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. at least 50% of the battle. Yeah. You know how this goes with parenting, right? I mean, it's just naming the issue, yep. the, the proverbial elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. And so I think it, pastors welcoming people back into in-person congregational mm -hmm. worship in light of the last year, and not just COVID shutdown and isolation, but then all of the other issues that have gone yeah. on, a national election that was very stirring for, I think, the vast majority of the country. Yeah. You know, and stirring is about as euphemistic as I can make it, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> right. Like, yeah. And then and then racial justice issues mm -hmm. so significant that are lifetime right now mm -hmm. in Minnesota. And mm -hmm. you know, um, I think for pastors to courageously and compassionately name those realities mm -hmm. and invite and and one of the things I found as a pastor in wading into delicate issues like this is just the relief that congregants can feel when the pastor takes the first step yeah. and names some reality and like models the way to, in, uh, to broach a topic and engage mm -hmm. in a topic. Mm -hmm. I, I, I remember, uh, I hope this isn't too much information for your podcast, but I remember no, several years into my pastoral ministry, found myself in a therapist's office while well, I was given a three-month sabbatical and started to unravel because I found out I was addicted to achievement, just like a good eight. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And next thing you know, I'm in a therapist's office yeah. trying to figure out what on earth is going on inside of me that's just gone bonkers with this three-month sabbatical where I'm supposed to relax. And I realized I have no emotional <laughs> capacity to relax, actually. Yeah. And, um, and I remember sharing with the congregation after I got back from my sabbatical about this, mm -hmm. very candidly. And the, the sense of relief, you could almost, it was palpable in the congregation as, because of course, so many congregants struggle, not exactly like I do, but in other kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. And for the pastor to model this and name these kinds of realities gives mm -hmm. permission to the congregation. And it was, mm -hmm. and, and I just had a number of people. So anyways, that's a long winded way of saying if pastors will take the lead to name mm -hmm. the difficult issues and, and wade into these conversations and, and um, create space for people to you know, turn to their neighbor in the pew next to them, so to speak, mm -hmm. and, 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 and dialogue openly and candidly. I think that goes a long way to, to just helping us uh, yeah. get ourselves back into a better place. I think that's a great first step.
This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. One thing you do also talk about that I really appreciated when you talk about this idea of self-awareness is you talk about it, this phrase that self-awareness for the sake of others. And I was yes. like, yes, that is so good. Because, I, you know, most of the time I think things that are peddled are either just like, you know, outside of a Christian space, it's like, look inside yourself because really you are the arbiter of the good life, you know? And so yes. it's all up to you and your individualism. Or even in Christian circles, we have this idea like this kind of navel gazing that can yes. be unhealthy too. Talk us through this idea about how the Enneagram can help us be self-aware, but also for the sake of others, this combination of self and others. Yeah, great, great question. Um, yeah, I mean, the Enneagram just specializes in helping you become self-aware, right? I mean, right. it helps point the light on your personality and your operating system, right? Mm -hmm. And most of us go through life just utilizing the operating system without pausing of our personality, without pausing to be more self-reflective about it and develop right. mind, what Dan Siegel, the psychiatrist, calls mm -hmm. mind sight, mm -hmm. the ability to look inside yourself and see um, what's going on. So the Enneagram is great in that, but but putting it within a Christian frame, I mean, that really needs to be in the service of loving other people mm -hmm. or the way Jesus would put it, denying yourself, taking up your cross and following after Christ, just as Christ did, laying down your life for the sake of other people. Um, the idea, this that way of putting it really came to me, Ashley, again, um, from um, a counseling session I was doing with the mm -hmm. coach therapist that I still meet with today. It was a number mm -hmm. of years ago. And mm -hmm. my wife and I were uh, wrestling with a very uh, significant decision mm -hmm. that we were going to make um, that was going to involve some sacrifice on our part to love someone else. And mm -hmm. I was really wrestling with it. And I had a lot of hesitation about it. And I was unpacking it with my, my kind of therapist coach. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I said, his name is Jack. And I said, Jack, I just feel selfish about not going through with doing this. Mm -hmm. And he said, Todd, you need to first have a self before you can be selfish, mm. which was a profound and counterintuitive thing to say, mm -hmm. but like, you need to have it. You use the language of differentiation. You need mm -hmm. to have a differentiated self. You need to know yourself mm -hmm. before you can, you know, before mm -hmm. you can give yourself away. Mm. Um, so, so that's, I think the, the, uh, was a real turning point point for me in thinking about the relationship between self-awareness and, and self-sacrifice or giving yourself away. Because as you know, we can, we can do things for the sake of others that really aren't flowing from um, giving ourself away, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. but are feeding our ego in certain right. kinds of ways. Even though it looks sacrificial, it may not actually in substance be very sacrificial because you're, you're, you're doing it to stroke yourself or, or, or get something out of it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does that process look like practically? How can people start to become self-aware for the sake of others? Or, you know, is it like seasonal where, you know, maybe it's this period where I'm pulling away from community or from others to dive into the Enneagram or, you know, what is, yeah. or what does that look like for you? Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. some, some folks that you've kind of worked through the Enneagram with. You know, the Enneagram talks about, as we talk about thinking, feeling, and doing, mm-hmm. and you lead with one and, and, and we all repress another one, either thinking, feeling, or doing. Mm-hmm. And um, I think if you, you find, you know, if you look into your own heart and mind and personality and see how you work in the world, I think we'll find that, um, you know, perhaps our greatest opportunity to sacrificially love other people is by leaning into that part of our personality we repress. Hmm. So, for example, I'm an eight, which means I lead with doing, I back it up with thinking, and I drop feeling. Or relationships, right? So the feeling triad, relational triad, I drop feeling. So it's very easy for me to make things happen in the world, to strategize, to push things forward. I have a ton of plates always spinning in my life. I love all this. It's very difficult for me to slow down, be sensitive to the feelings of others, be even sometimes aware of others, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I remember I Susan, yeah. <laughs> you know, yes, you, yeah, right, Mary doing it. Yeah. I remember Suzanne Stabile, who um, dedicated the book to, mm-hmm. and uh, we did a year-long cohort, my wife and I with her. And I remember her saying, Ashley, early on, <laughs> she remember her saying, you know, eights can be socially awkward. And I took great offense at that. I'm like, <laughs> wait, I'm, I'm a very savvy person. What is she talking about? Yeah. I asked my wife about it, and who's a four like you, yeah, and yeah. she was like, yeah, you know, Todd, it's not that you're like clunky. It's that you are so doing thinking oriented and relationally and emotionally dro- drops out for you that you can just be unaware of right, yeah, these relational dynamics and other people. So actually, that's just a way of saying, as I've grown in self-awareness about that, and it's been hard, it's been painful to, to have to say that about myself, like, yeah, I can be, I can be socially awkward, which is a way, to, a way of saying, I can just step into a room and just be too much. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> just be too much mm-hmm. in a way that will not be sensitive to other people, in a way that will not be attentive and attuned to the relational dynamics in the room, mm-hmm. in a way that will be totally unintentionally, but just domineering, just take over. Yeah. So all that's to say, I can give myself away. I can love others sacrificially by raising that part of my personality, that repressed part of my personality. Mm -hmm. And that's a ton of hard work for an eight. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm internalizing all this stuff because yeah, my, my repressed is doing, and yeah, I often even just say, well, it's so good for me even just to like go out for a walk and to be outside because yes. I'd much rather just sit and read or, you know, do, yes. do nothing and, but that's right. keep all the, the thinking and the feeling going, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And I would imagine for a four, um, being married to a four that, you know, <laughs> it, you know, <laughs> I would imagine you did you like, I, was like, oh, I would imagine <laughs> <laughs> hypothetically, <laughs> um, that, uh, it is, it is sacrificial love in falling after Jesus when a four raises the doing repressed center mm-hmm. and does the 
practical, mundane, tedious things of life that make fours crazy because yeah. there's it's it, there's no magic and mystery and romance to like mm-hmm. balancing the checkbook, so to speak. <laughs> right? right? Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So so the stances in the enneagram are just are so helpful. That is to say, what. Mm-hmm part of you, what part of your personality you repress, thinking, mm-hmm. feeling, or doing. Mm-hmm. And the question then that, that I often encourage people to ask is, is depends upon their stance, which is like, if you're, if you're a feeling repressed, the question to ask yourself is what do I feel about this mm-hmm. in any given situation or decision you're facing, or mm-hmm. what do I feel about this? <laughs> My wife now asks me that regularly, Todd, what do you feel? And oftentimes mm. I have to say, I have no idea what I feel, Mm. but that's the leading edge of my growth is Mm. right there. Mm -hmm. And as I lean into that and I'm able to like get more acquainted with what I feel and how I relate relationally with other people, I will grow in Christ likeness. Mm -hmm. Um, And and the same with people that suppress thinking, sixes, ones, and twos. Um, as it, you know, the question for them is what do I think about this? What do I mm-hmm. think about this? And as I think they raise that repressed center, mm-hmm. uh, they will, they will be living more into the fullness of Christ. Mm-hmm. It seems to me. And then same with those that repress doing the, the four, as we've been talking about mm-hmm. and the five and the nine as well. Mm-hmm. What do I do about Yes. This? What do I, yeah. What do I do about this? What do I do about this? Or what is mine to do in this? Mm-hmm. What's your hope? Because, I think, you know, for the church and, and kind of pairing, yeah. The Enneagram with the church, helping pastors become much more self-aware about how they're preaching. Even, you know, you talk about kind of Enneagram in our church traditions. Yes. You're an eight. So what's your like big 50,000 foot hope (laughs) and dream and like goal as we have these conversations? Yes. A more integrated church Mm. filled with more integrated people Mm. and led by more integrated pastors Mm. who are um, not just spiritually formed, but psychologically healthy. Mm, that's good. I love the Enneagram as a means to get after the bigger concept for me, which is integration. Yeah. Becoming integrated people. So the, the uh, thing about Christians is, and, and pastors and Christian leaders is they can be both godly and dysfunctional at the same time. Yep. And this is scary stuff, <laughs> you know, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you can have a godly pastor who loves Jesus, loves the Bible, loves the mission, all the rest of it, and is pretty dysfunctional mm-hmm. psychologically. And by the way, we we see the tragic news of these stories just about every week where these amazing pastors or Christian leaders actually, on closer examination, are I mean, have some serious issues mm-hmm. that have that they have been just been carrying around for a long, long time. Yeah. And that in lack of integration and wholeness has finally caught up with them. Yeah. Perhaps through the pressures of 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 their their work and their role. So so that is is my passion, Ashley, is to see the church be not just spiritually formed, but psychologically whole. Mm. Christians to be both godly and well-adjusted psychologically, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because I found it so helpful in my own life and other people mm-hmm. that I care about who have been on this journey. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it enables you, empowers you to better love like Christ's love mm-hmm. and, and look with compassion on other people and engage sympathetically and patiently with, with broken people and you know, so on. I could go on and on, but that, that's the, that's the mm. 50,000 foot vision and passion. I love it. I think that's a beautiful vision and one that we can all get behind to, you know, do the hard 
do the hard work of self-awareness for the sake of others. So Todd, as we conclude our conversation, I always love to ask my guests about their laundry routines, primarily probably because I'm a four and I don't like doing. And so (laughs) it helps make meaning out of the mundane. And there it is. Yeah, that's probably where it comes from. I'm a fan of Kathleen Norris and her quotidian mysteries. So, but now see, it's all back to the Enneagram, but I'd love to hear your laundry routine. And you have a pile of children, so... I'm assuming. Yes, we do. We do do have a pile of children. So um, to my wife's credit, she trained, we have seven children. Mm -hmm. And so she trained all of them in how to do their laundry. So they have, so honestly, actually, they have all been doing their laundry for years. Our youngest, we have a 20 year old down to twins, uh, sixth graders, 12 year olds. Okay. They all do their laundry. So it's really hilarious. Like I'll be sitting downstairs in the morning, having my cup of coffee, whatever. And my, one of my sixth grade boys will come flying down the stairs and, you know, be throwing stuff in the, the dryer that he put in the washer the night before because he's got to, you know, get his yeah. jeans all, all tidied up to put on to go to school. Yes. So all this to say, our laundry routine is we cheer our children on because they it. do their own, own laundry. <laughs> now, the challenge has been, where do we put the laundry when we pull it out of the dryer when they mm. pull it out of the dryer, right? Because it's seven, yeah. you know, nine people in our house and yeah. there's clothes sometimes everywhere. <laughs> so that's yeah. been one of the challenges. In fact, right now uh, on the st- on on the landing going up to the upstairs bedrooms, there's piles of clothes right. there that need to be gathered up. So yes. So, but do you do your own then? I do not do my no, own laundry. Do your wife? No. That's- my wife does, does She's like my, the my laundry goddess, apparently. She is the laundry <laughs> goddess, right? So, she, but she only manages my laundry and her okay. laundry, right? All the rest of the and kids just make sure do. the kids are whipped in. That's into exactly shape. right. I That's exactly it. right. Awesome. Well, thank you, Todd. It's been really very fun to have you, and thank you great for your to, book. Great to be on. Yeah, thank you, Ashley. Thanks yeah. for having me on. You're welcome. Friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Todd Wilson. It was so fun, and it was really fun to have the connection with Enneagram type. If the Enneagram is something that's new to you, his book is a great primer, and there's also a few other books that University Press has published on the Enneagram, including Suzanne Stabile's The Road Back to You. That's a great start. And IVP has also released 40-day devotionals on each Enneagram type. I'm definitely planning to get their Enneagram 4 devotional, but that might be a great gift for yourself or for a friend. I want to leave you friends with one small step as you take all of these great thoughts and ideas into your practical, everyday, holy life. And Todd reminds us that the greatest opportunity we have to love others sacrificially is by leaning into that part of our personality that we've suppressed, whether that's doing, thinking, or feeling. So if, for instance, your doing center is repressed, the question you might want to ask yourself is, what is mine to do? If your feeling center is repressed, which means you do or act from your gut and you think more, you might want to lean into how can I hear and listen to someone else's feelings and even ask yourself, what do I feel in this moment? If your thinking center is repressed, so you tend to either feel or do, you might begin to ask yourself, what do I think in this situation? And as we navigate challenges in the church and in communities and our neighborhoods, this might be just one small step that you can take with you into your everyday holy life to begin to live not just for ourselves, but for the good of the world.
Lastly, friends, I have some good news for you. Make sure you're tuning in to this small series week after week as we consider what has the pandemic done to our relationships. We talked today about the Enneagram and the church and even our relationship with ourselves. But we'll talk more about parenting and marriage and technology as well as our relationship with ourselves and the issues of doubt. So join me for that. And I have some good news too, is that I want to give you a copy of Todd's book and other friends' books as we go through this series together. All you need to do during this five-week series is to go to iTunes right now, leave a review of the Finding Holy podcast. Make sure you let me know on social media. You can tag me at AA Hales or use the hashtag Finding Holy podcast. I'll be sure to find it. And at the end of our series, I'm going to give away a whole stack of books. So I can't wait. Make sure you leave a review. It helps connect the dots for new listeners to find the Finding Holy podcast as we help them connect dots between things that matter and your everyday holy life. So share it with a friend and leave your review because big things matter, but so does the laundry. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bows Podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.